you can have great creative, but if you haven't prepared the client for it, if you don't have protocols for feedback, if you're not clear on what the process is after the design is is presented, what happens then, then it can fall apart. First of all, it cannot be received well, yeah. or it can be implemented in a poor way. There's just so many pitfalls and they can all be mitigated through good project management. I'm not saying every project goes perfectly, but I will say that I feel like we are able to set up the project in a way that it's optimized for success through good project management. Yep. I I feel the exact same way. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind the scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss. Show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I'm talking to my dear friend, fellow Brooklynite and boss of her businesses, Amanda Neville. Amanda is the founder and owner of both Three Furies, a seven-figure branding, marketing, and communications consulting agency, and Tipsy, a fun and friendly neighborhood wine store in Brooklyn. Her agency business is the complete opposite of mine in terms of structure, types of clients, and what we're going for. And yet the fundamentals are so strikingly similar, I knew that that in and of itself would provide some great takeaways. Plus, her wine store comes with loads of fun brand stories that will definitely inspire you to think about your marketing differently. We spoke recently and talked about why creative genius is so important and can't ever come first. The work every successful business owner does to make their business successful that seemingly has nothing to do with business. Why we both separately dream of starting a general contracting company. And how one creative project that Amanda started just to amuse herself turned into one of her best marketing sales strategies. Welcome to Show Your Business Who's Boss, Amanda. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I feel honored to be part of this like first couple of weeks crew. It's, it's an honor. Well, so I was pretty unsure on how to proceed with this podcast, especially right now. Um, given the fact that there are protests, the protests are right in front of my house. You too. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. literally going yeah. by my apartment multiple times a week. I thought maybe it was tone deaf to talk about business right now. I mean, because the conversation in my world and your world is about the safety of black people's lives and business feels so trite and nothing compared mm-hmm. to people's lives. Right. But then, you know, somebody pointed out and I remembered like this isn't a new issue right. <laughs> at all. Black people's lives have been mistreated by law enforcement and policies for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. you know, people other people are just waking up to it. And so this isn't going to end. It's not like we're going to go back to our regularly scheduled program. It better not. Mm -hmm. And so instead of pausing this another week or two, as if it's going to end, and then we're going to go back, um, you know, I think we need to acknowledge that this has always been the case. Mm -hmm. And we need to continue building our businesses and our lives. And we can, but with a new approach, um, a consistent commitment to changing our businesses and the system at large from now on. And so I just wanted to take a minute to just talk to you a little bit about what's been going on and what you've been thinking, even though it's uncomfortable too. Like you are a blonde white woman. (laughs) I am half Hispanic, but for all intents and purposes, raised with complete white privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, That felt a little like, oh, is that okay? But it is okay. 
it's okay. You know, mm-hmm. I want to hear from you, especially because you're, you have been such um, an inspiring activist for the 10 years I've known you, almost 10 years. So I just wanted to see how you're doing, what you've, what you've been, how you've been feeling considering that you, this is not new to you. This isn't new to me either, but you are actually have been engaged in this. Yeah. It's like, it's so many emotions, right? Like I'm fucking mad. I'm mad that this kept happening. I'm mad that we haven't managed to do, do anything like that. We can't seem to stop the violence. And so that's one of the reasons I'm in full support and have been, and I'm inspired by the protests, you know, like I, I don't just support them. Like we participated on Sunday. There was a family march in near Prospect Park that I took Nina to. I'd been wanting to protest, but, you know, with COVID, being a single parent, not being able to take Nina, I felt really worried. And so it felt good to get out there, frankly. Like it was just worth the risk. Um, There were other families there. Um, There was social distancing to the extent that you can in a protest, but there were, you know, people wearing masks and that felt... Oh, good. It just felt good to be part of it. It feels like that's more important. So there's like the anger, there's the feelings of support and inspiration. There's like the wanting to do more. There's also, you know, definitely like reflection, like what is my role here? I am, I am a a white woman in a historical, historically black community with a small business. You know, the, the business owners up and down my avenue are there's such diversity. It's beautiful. Um, there's a lot of a lot of white people. There's a lot of gentrification that's happened in this neighborhood that I'm part of, and I have to think about that and figure out like what is my role. I was, you know, I, I volunteer on the bid, and we talked a lot about like what is the role of the bid. It, I am so grateful that I live in a neighborhood where an organization like that, which is um, what is the bid? It's a business improvement district. Okay. They support the businesses, but the bid that I'm a part of is also like a social justice organization and they run the food bank. They've been instrumental in all of the food banking that I've been volunteering with for the last two months, three months. Um, So they're really mindful of the community and always thinking about the most vulnerable members of our community and bringing that to the attention and kind of getting business owners to think about it and, and figure out what to do. And so in that respect, I feel really grateful that there's that leadership in our community that has provided guidance on how to be active and give back. And one of my clients also pointed out that this is really hard if you haven't been doing anything. Um, but if you've been doing something, then there's a lot more to, then you have words for it and you have things that you can talk about and and say and it's not like just filling the air it's not it's not performative right like we don't want to be performative we want to have be authentic and in that way um in that way too it's been good to have been active like we had for example weeks ago I'd been planning a gratitude campaign for the frontline workers a lot of whom are black indigenous and people of color and we worked with a woman of color on the posters um, and the artwork she's from the neighborhood she went to pratt she's wonderful and we have this we have posters up to thank them and acknowledge them they reflect 
they represent and reflect the the diversity of the folks who are on the front lines. Um, and we also printed postcards that people can mail them in as, or give them to their mail carrier or leave them for their sanitation workers as a way to say thank you. And we also made donations to organizations that support each of those groups, except for the postal service where we wrote letters and supported them instead. So like we've been doing things and now we have something, you know, it was sort of like that we were rolling it out this week. So after last week, after talking about sending out an email to our, our customers and highlighting all of the black owned businesses in our neighborhood, expressing support for the protests, um, talking about both our, our gratitude campaign that's coming up and also talking about the ways that we've been supporting our community since the beginning of COVID. And our customers know that we have been active in our community. We publish an annual philanthropy report. I mean, we're a wine store. Like we are very (laughs) activists, but like being able to like lean into that and talk about that and model like Mm. ways that you can be involved and participate. And there are so many that felt productive and that felt like, okay, I am not without tools here. I know what to do. I have messages to share. I have actions that I've taken that I can tell people about so that they can take them. I can open conversations. I can invite people to reach out, you know, if they have questions and I can also talk about my own privilege. And I, that's what I tried to do. Um, and it didn't end last week, but it also didn't start last week. Mm-hmm. So, so that felt productive, you know, it doesn't make the pain go away, but it makes me feel like I'm not helpless and there's, there's not, and I'm not hopeless. I know that there's ways out of this. I'm so, um, grateful to know you, Amanda. You're really inspiring and you always have been. And thanks for, thanks for all the work you've been doing. That hopelessness is, I think, something that a lot of people have felt in the past. I, I will freely admit, like, I was very activist in my early 20s, and I became hopeless. Mm-hmm. And so I retreated. You know, it's too sad. It's too scary. It's too hard. Nothing happens. It's, in, it's the Sisyphus. Mm-hmm. pushing that damn boulder up and it just pushing you back down. So this feels, you know, <laughs> and you're, I, I, I'm sure you can relate to this, like as somebody who wants to see progress, mm-hmm. I mean, I get completely disillusioned when there's no progress. That's not a good thing, but it, it does make me shy away from, if you look at your psychology, like where are you gravitating towards? I, I, I shy away from things where I'm not going to get anywhere with it because it just feels so bad. And what's so amazing about this happening now, even though this has been going on this whole time, is it feels like there's real opportunity, actual progress and more people talking about it. And, may, and you know, they're not all going to stay committed. Right. Definitely not. Right. But if some of them do, that would be huge progress. Right. I mean, hell, if they vote... In November. Yeah, just fucking vote. <laughs> like, like, that's like my you know? main ask right now is just like fucking show up in November. Like show up. Yeah. if nothing else, if you do nothing else this year, that's what we need. And, you know, hopefully they do keep learning. Hopefully they watch some of the amazing programming that's available for free on Netflix to educate themselves. Because I think that's the other piece is like, I continue to learn. Like I, I know that this is lifelong. This is like I, I'm like loving how you said like this is not over. No, it's this is forever, and the sooner that you accept that and just 
you know, it also means you can pace yourself. Like you're not going to learn everything next week. Um, going to make mistakes. You're going to say the wrong thing. It feels bad. Somebody might call you out. That feels shitty. You know, you were trying, you fell short, like all those things. Then you pick yourself up and you try again. I, you know, I, I think also for, for people who love to see results and feel like, and have seen like when you work hard, you can get results. Like here we have, we've been working hard and it feels like the results are not where they need to be. But instead of giving up, we have to double down. Like mm-hmm. that's what it is. That's the job. That's the job of the generation. Like we're not giving up. <laughs> like we elected Obama, you know, like mm-hmm. an incredible leader again, once in a generation, like hopefully not once in a generation. Like we can do that again. We can do that again. And like the next cycle was bad. We're going to fucking double down, you know? And like, and we're not focused just at the top. We're looking at like local elections and I look for hope there. And I think that's also where the education can come in and like, don't turn off the media, but you know, don't only read the bad stories. There's good stories too. I just read this morning, you know, it, barring an upset, it looks like New Mexico will send a congressional delegate that is all women of color. That's incredible. Wow. Or majority women of color, but all women. I mean, it was just like, the, yeah. that was like, that's incredible. And that is a move in the right direction. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a long time. On the other hand, these protests have have pushed change to start happening very quickly. So again, like, to me, that is hopeful. People are are acting like our our representatives here in New York made a huge change last night uh, or two days ago by changing a law that had been on the books for a long time. So state, you know, states are are looking are reconsidering how they fund police forces and how they manage and protect their police departments, and that is happening as a result of these protests. And I think that's why they're so important. It can't just be volunteering and, you know, getting out the vote and like slow stuff. Sometimes you have to do, you have to resort to civil disobedience to get results faster. And it's an emergency. It's a, it's a crisis. This is a crisis. And so it's totally appropriate. Like we, we can't wait. Can't wait another day. Yeah. A couple of things you said, I won't remember all of them, Uh, (laughs) but the, um, you said about, you know, voting, obviously, mm-hmm. um, but everything that goes around that. So, you know, not just you voting, but are there ways for you to help get the vote out? Mm-hmm. So a couple of things that I have that I signed up for a couple of weeks ago. Um, one of them is adopt a state by, I don't know if you know, Pod Save America. Mm-hmm. So like adopt a swing state and like do work getting the vote mm-hmm. out there because that's where we need people mm-hmm. to show up. And the other thing, and I'll, I'll link to this in the show notes. There was a great episode of, have you ever listened to The Human Brain? Human brain with uh, Shankar Vedante on uh, NPR. He talks about, you know, psychology, why we do the things we do. But there's a great episode, like maybe a month or two ago, about our psychology of showing up politically when it when it's performative. He didn't use that word, but but how much more important the local how how much change is driven by the local voting and government that we don't see at all but how massive change can happen with that. Um, and he told some great stories. I don't remember all the details, but it was just really like, you listen to that, you're like, oh crap, I got to go look for these like, you know, congressional seats and these district. I mean, that's where change is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, 
state assemblies, city council, every single seat matters. Matters and it matters. Yes. A lot. And, and those are also, you know, even though it doesn't seem direct, I think it probably during this time, it feels good. Let me donate to Black Lives Matter and at all organizations. Yes. But also we're talking about systemic Mm -hmm. problems that need change in policy. And that only happens through voting. So that might be less sexy, (laughs) but that is the most sexy thing (laughs) you can do right now. Um, You know, or one of them, one of them. And, you know, to bring it back to business, like people may be like, Oh, this is a business podcast. Why are we talking about politics? Well, the, they're connected, you know, like uh, the way that our taxes are spent, for example, you know, like I just wrote a huge sales tax check and I'm about to write another mm-hmm. huge sales check, check. Well, do you know where I want that to go? I want that to go to education. I want that to go to social services. Yeah, I, not to the police that I don't, are killing people. But I just, I want to have a say into it. Like, I yeah. think that that's the connection is like, we're in business, we're making profits, we're paying taxes on um, our income. And I want to, I want to have a say in how, how that gets, how those budget allocations happen. And we're lucky here. There's a lot of participatory budgeting that happens in New York city. We pay a lot of taxes, a lot of money is at stake. And again, this activism is a way to make sure that your money is going to, to the place that you, places that you want them to. And that's your community. And that all contributes to the health of your business. Cause if, cities in flames, you know, or when people are dying, then that's not a great place to do business. Like it's not fun to do business when your community's in crisis. Um, so that's, that's another, you know, way to think about it as a business owner. If you're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not political. It's like, actually it's all going to affect you in the end. And along the same lines, I'll be honest, like I've really thought about profits this year. <laughs> like I have no idea where I am. I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, I'm making my bills. I don't know if there's going to be anything left over. I'm probably going to have to like have a payment plan for taxes. Like I just don't see how the numbers are going to really work out this year. And I say that as an essential business and as my other business is still, you know, pretty busy, but it's, it's just, I, it, we're busy, but I don't know if we're like, we're also giving a lot of our time away. We're doing pro bono work for the store. I've just been like, I've been making donations like pretty much every week substantial, not $50, like several hundred mm-hmm. dollars every week back into the community, mutual aid, bail funds, bigger organizations, smaller organizations, but almost all local and all community. And I feel, fi- I feel fine about that. Like, yeah, you know, like that is, and that's, again, that's my privilege. Cause I'm like, not worried. I think I'll be fine. But also like, I'm trying to use that privilege and be like, I'm not worried. I'm going to give this money away. Like this is, this money is needed in my community right now. And that is a much bigger deal. And I will deal with whatever the fallout of that is later. It's okay to also keep working on your business and your life, you know, especially if you do it while also committing to fundamentally shifting the way that you approach it. And that's and the key. That's the key. The work. You need to do both. And, and, we, and we have an opportunity and responsibility as business owners who make money. Yeah. To, to be leaders in that and to push those agendas forward and to create that society that we want to see. Yes. Like we, you know, there are people who don't have that agency. They don't have money. They're desperate to pay their rent. So we are in the, we have the privilege of doing that work. And, and so it is our responsibility to do that work. 
I do want you to just tell us a little bit about all the different things that you were involved in. Yeah, because when we met, I think you were just in the one Three Furies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, because that's yeah. how we met, because you're mm-hmm. in branding and I was in branding and um, yeah. that's how we connected. So first, just tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So Three Furies is a, well, I always call it a business content and, and web communications, a strategy firm. We do branding, but we also do advertising campaigns. We design huge websites. We do communication strategies, especially a lot of internal communications. So it's a really diverse practice and we have a diverse set of clients. So we work with some big corporate clients. We work with a lot of education clients. We always try to support some small businesses and startups because that makes it, you know, keeps things fun and interesting. And we work with kind of like medium-sized businesses in all different verticals. So I, I law, health, educate a yeah. lot in education. You've got some pretty big clients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That you work We're- with on an ongoing basis, right? Yeah, it's true. We we've we have we also form really long standing relationships. So I always say it's like Hotel California. Like once you check in, you're not gonna check out. We <laughs> we just we work really well with our clients and so they stay around for a long time. We we just renew our relationships and we keep working as whatever the the businesses evolve. So we've worked with Stanford University for almost 10 years. We worked oh, with wow. a nonprofit called EL Education for over 10 years. We have a number of law firms that we worked with for a um, long period of time. Sometimes it's a person that I've worked with for many, 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 many years when I you know, move from one job to another. And then we continue working together because if there's a good dynamic and there's trust, that's sort of like the foundation for creativity. Th- that makes it right. safe to take risks. It makes it safe to be honest about when things aren't working or you know what it is that your aspirations are. And so we've worked with some really big law firms, Denton's, which is one of the biggest law firms in the whole world, was a client for a long time. And now those the clients that we worked with there have hired us for various other projects that they've gone on to do. So this is another big huge stark difference between our two companies. I literally mm-hmm. <laughs> work with a client and it ends at 6 p.m., mm-hmm. no less, whenever the, the the project is done and you are working with these clients for over a decade. Yeah. Remind <laughs> me when you started this company. Um, I started it in 2012. 2012. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. And, and so uh, tell me, because you, can I, can I say this? I mean, you're, yeah, yeah. you did over a million dollars last year. I mean, you're, uh-huh. yeah. you're this is not small potatoes here. And you don't have an in-house team of employees or would you, or you do? do. You have we a do. Team. We have payroll. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tell me, tell me a little bit about how you're structured. Cause I think a lot of people like to know, cause did it start? It didn't start with these people, obviously. How did no, it, it start? Didn't. And how for, did it for a long, long time, I just worked with 1099s. I had okay. previously been a partner at an agency where we had everybody on staff and I felt, I, I saw that that could be really hard to manage because you either have to lay people off when you lose, lose a project or you just have to make sure that you you know are taking no matter what comes your way basically. So when I started my my agency on my my own, I wanted to have more flexibility. So I started off with all freelancers and I would just put together teams based on what the project required and it was it really worked for a long time that way. I would just I had a I had a group of people that I'd worked with for many years that I could draw on. They were all independent and we would just come together like as these like hired guns and so the client got the benefit of a senior team that had experience working together, but we would be like, you know, we would just do the project and then disband. Okay. So before you go farther, this is a really important point because I think a lot of people try to do that 
you know, oh, I can put together an outsourced agency for whatever the project is. And I, I, I've almost, it almost never works. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I, I see some people do this poorly, but if I may, and you tell me if this, you agree, like the reason it worked with you was a few things. One, you had already worked with these people before mm-hmm. you started doing this. It's not yeah. like you met these people and said, hey, you do video, like you should be part of this project. Yeah. You basically already had established this team dynamic with these people yeah. mm-hmm. and, and yeah. trusted them and, and mm-hmm. already had process. Mm-hmm. Well, you're very process oriented. Yeah, I am process oriented. <laughs> I, love, I love a good process. Um, love a good yeah. process is key. And the <laughs> other thing is how did you get that? How did you start right out of the gate? You started with this outsourced agency model how did you get those first clients? Yeah. Some of them followed me when I left my old agency. Some of them called me, you know, a week later and were like, you set up yet? <laughs> and then also word of mouth, you know, other other people referred people to me. Some of it, I, I, I'm a pretty good cold caller. Like I'm a pretty good drummer upper of business where there is no mm-hmm. business. I can make business. Um, so it was a combination, but mostly in the beginning, it was clients either following me or referrals from existing relationships. With regard to the team, some of those people had worked for me before at another agency. Some of them came to me through introductions, through trusted sources. I worked early in my career at an agency that is no longer, doesn't exist anymore, but the network from that agency has been like basically gold to me. I When I'm referred to people from through that network, there's just like a mutual foundation of expectations, process, and mm. trust. And so that has, that has, that's been invaluable. And uh, I do still bring, I do still experiment because I like to work with new people and I don't want to get um, stuck in old ways of doing things. And I like for things to look fresh. I don't want, I never want to have a situation where everything starts to look the same. So as I meet people, you know, we met through a completely different network when we've worked together and that were, I thought that worked well. It happened, you know, we worked together on a couple of things and I've referred people to you. So I still try to use my network and, and meet people and I'll try a small project first. If that works well, then we'll work together again and kind of build that and always bring fresh talent in. So that's, that's that over time. Uh, and especially the last two years, uh, it works well to do that when you're pretty small. And I had one, one person who worked for me part-time assisting me with project management management, and she ultimately was able to manage some of the small projects on her own. And she had other clients. And over time, as I brought in more and more business and more and more accounts, I needed more project managers and project managers can't freelance the way that designers can. So all the designers that I worked with all these years, like they had other clients going on, they had other accounts, they had other partners that they would work with. But for project managers, it's just, it's a different dynamic. Like you are, you have to work on it. If you're the project manager, you're really working on something every day. It's a little harder to like compartmentalize it. I also was running into needing to have my staff, like the people who are working for me regularly be on payroll because I was going after government contracts and bigger RFPs where they were looking to see that the, if, and I was, and I was applying as a woman owned business and Mm -hmm. you have to then show that you have a staff and that you're not just subbing everything out, that you're a shell company. So there, there, this, there arose kind of this need from a lot of different angles, business development, operational, and also the desire to like have a little bit more of a structure in place and, and be able to kind of grow even more. And that led me to bring all of the project managers that I was working with on staff. 
And then what we do now is that we'll start working with a project manager freelance, make sure that it's a good fit, make sure that we have enough business, and then ultimately bring them on full time. The goal being to have always project managers on staff. It just, it, project management to me is like this like undervalued, but critical function in a creative agency. Amen. Yep. And, and, and for my model, I've decided that it's, it's the essential function. And, and so I spend a lot of time investing in training them, mentoring them, giving them opportunities. And all of the creative partners are still freelance. Most of them want to be freelance. Most of them don't want to be on staff. They want to have the freedom. And I love that. (laughs) It's great. It works. That works. It works for me. I mean, there's a couple of people that I've had conversations with where, you know, we're really good friends. We work together. We've worked together for two decades, but it always kind of ends up and is like, well, it's not broken. Let's not like, doesn't need to be fixed. It's working. So to, to clarify, all of your full-time employees are project managers. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So your, your model is terrifying to me, but, (laughs) but mostly because in my, in my meager experience with trying to start that, like dip a toe and it didn't work. I mean, I, you know, looking back, I, I see all the reasons I didn't learn how to do all of these things. I've learned actually process and project management and all of that through my experience building the business myself. Mm-hmm. But the thing that you're saying is even though your business is such a different model, your focus and my focus are actually really tightly aligned. And so it makes complete sense that you're telling me this. I mean, we've, I've never we've never actually talked about this part. Like yeah. <clears throat> the fact that project management is the most important part. I completely agree. That's kind of what I'm talking to people when I say process or when I talk about productizing services, because obviously I'm talking to small, like very small businesses who are usually Mm -hmm. selling to other small businesses. The idea of productizing your services and, and getting your process really tight is saying project management is the most important thing. And Mm -hmm. people who are their own business, and especially when they're in creative fields, they, that's kind of like a, like a secondary nice to have. And I'm like, you know, no, the creative is the secondary (laughs) project management is what makes the project work. Right. Right. And I talk to the designers a lot about this because, um, like you can have great creative, but if you haven't prepared the client for it, if you don't have protocols for feedback, if you're not clear on what the process is after the, the design is, is presented, what happens then, then it can fall apart. First of all, it cannot be received well yeah. and, or it can be implemented in a poor way. There's just so many pitfalls and they can all be mitigated through good project management. So I'm not saying every project goes perfectly, but I will say that I feel like we are able to set up the project in a way that it's optimized for success through good project management. Yep. I, I feel the exact same way. It's not surprising because when I think about your your kind of business and I wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole, it's mostly because I haven't built the skills you have, which is taking this project management, which I'm very good at in my n- nook mm-hmm. <laughs> with me and Steve and, and one client. I, w- I don't know how to put that into a ongoing relationship yeah. with lots of opinions in the room. Mm-hmm. But I'm so glad to hear that it's absolutely possible. And I think that the lesson to anybody listening is no matter what you're in, this is the key to making the project because this is the profitability, right? The second it unravels, there goes the profit out the window. (laughs) Like there goes your energy, there goes Mm -hmm. your enthusiasm, right? (laughs) Well, and and for me, it's also been the key to long-term relationships, which is um, critical to the the success. And it's how we're surviving right now. Like we Mm. have... 
you know, these, those, these relationships and even some of the setups, like we, we have a couple of clients where we are really embedded in their department or mm-hmm. where we are the extension of the department. They don't have headcount for a whole marketing team. And so we are their marketing team. We don't work on it full time, but we work on it, you know, a set number of hours and the numbers just make sense for everybody involved that it's an outsourced piece. And in some cases, that's how it's been for years and years and years because it's working well. Mm-hmm. So from a business development standpoint, that's a winning formula. You know what I mean? Like that become, that makes it possible to have project managers on staff because mm-hmm. they're dedicated to certain accounts and those accounts are long-term accounts. Right. I'm not scrambling for a new account every two months. Yeah, right. No, I mean, it's a, obviously it's a completely different yeah. um, model. You've got these people on retainer of some sort or another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also you are it's the relationship is so built on this trust in you guys as Mm -hmm. the authorities. They have trust in you to execute, to take care of them. That makes the relationship work too, because that trust allows you to like do your best work for them. Yeah. Although it's funny because like our approach in these longer term kind of embedded situations is that we always are set up to like make them independent. Like I don't want a codependent relationship in any part of my life. And (laughs) so we always like are trying to like work ourselves out of a job. And so we always set up systems and we train their people to the extent that we can. And we try to model the best practices and, you know, but then it just ends up that it's just working so well that it just makes sense to continue (laughs) instead of getting rid of us. But I just want to be clear, like, it's not like we come in and we're like, how can we make ourselves indispensable? We actually are always trying to come in and and set things up so that if the client had to take it and run with it, they would be prepared to do it. And that all, you know, that we've documented everything, that there's systems in place so that they could take it over at any moment. Like it's it's set up mm-hmm. that way. It just so happens that that they're smart systems and so they work well. And then the client is like, well, this is going so well. Do the next one. Let's keep doing yeah. it. <laughs> I, I, and I, I feel the same way. And I tell people like anybody who's trying to create your brand or website where now you rely on them. And, you know, I hate when people I mean, I've, I hate that people are stuck sometimes where they're like, I can't get into my website, my webmaster. I'm like, that shouldn't be, you know, it's in this situ- in this world and day and age, you should absolutely know how to log into your website if you have to and change stuff. And we always give clients all the assets. We're like, please, you need to be you need to have agency over your own brand. But but you have the kinds of clients that are big enough that they're always going to have communications needs. Mm-hmm. And and that that yeah. does make you indispensable, even though if you're yeah. trying to do the opposite. Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's working out. It's working. <laughs> it's working. Um, so then what is your role in this business? Mm-hmm. I mean, I still lead almost every project. Like I and I still do all the business development. And what and what does um, that entail? Writing proposals. Oh, another thing I, we disagree on, but it's different. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, <laughs> um, writing proposals. I mean, there is some outreach, and I ha- I do have a business uh, development associate freelance who who I'm training and who's like slowly getting to know my systems for that. So we do some proactive outreach. A lot of it is responding to referrals that are coming in. Some of it is, you know, looking at existing accounts and just always being aware and just trying to think about how can we add value. We have weekly calls with our with our regular clients. And mm-hmm. the first thing that we always talk about is like, what's going on with you? Just quick, like, what's new? What's going on? What do you, do you need anything? Like, is there something coming down the pike that you see? What do you have your eye on? Sometimes it's like, just like chit chat, catch up, but just like creating that space is a good way to like have an open conversation and open dialogue about what's happening. 
That's so smart because that also allows you to always be right there with them on -hmm. whatever's coming down the pipeline. It's giving them space. I hadn't really thought of that again because I don't do ongoing client stuff, but the idea of kind of, because they might not think to let you know about something new, but if you give them space, they'll Mm -hmm. kind of fill that space with whatever's on their mind. And then you get to be the first person to hear about it. Yeah. 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 uh, You know, most, most weeks it's like, oh, that's interesting. Or just like, I am having this issue, just like, you know, whatever. It's like some, just advising. Sometimes it's just advising, Mm -hmm. like, oh, what if you did this or that? Or, you know, what, like doing some operational, like just like some quick strategery. But sometimes it's a big thing where it's like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Like, yes, maybe you could, could you, you know, do you have a team for that? Do you Sometimes it's a referral. Sometimes it's like, oh, we're going to do a video and then we can refer it to one of our partners. Are you always on those calls? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That probably also comes. I mean, it's just, you know, you're the head of the company and you have such a breadth of understanding about business. You might be their communications person, but really communications in- incorporates everything mm-hmm. <laughs> about business. Yeah. And you're a smart strategic thinker. So I would, yeah. you know, love to have a call with Amanda every week to say, hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And let Amanda say, hmm, maybe you should do X, Y, and Z. Right. I will say that there's there's certain, like when we're in certain phases of projects where if it's like, I'm trying to think, like you're implementing a brand uh-huh. and and you're just in the phase where you're like making all the things and like there, those might be calls where I'm not on because the project manager has a better command of all the details. And in that case, I will be summoned when I'm needed. But also for the for budget reasons, like we try to be pragmatic about where it makes sense to have me on and where it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ones I'm talking about are long-term, bigger relationships where, you know, where I'm really, I've been the person who's been involved for all the years. And so there's just like, I can answer things faster than anybody else on the team. Mm-hmm. But for for new projects or for projects where there's like a phase where of implementation, I'm usually not the lead on those calls. So I just want to be clear mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I don't know where you get the time. Uh, <laughs> okay, that makes more sense. So what's your, what's like your long-term vision for this company? Long-term vision, you know, it's so hard to have a long-term vision in times like these. I think it's actually hard in regular times, but right now it's like my long-term vision is to make sure that this company survives. Because well, even though three months had, ago, what was right, the long-term vision? Three months ago, I was trying to move into like a different, I was trying to maintain all of the relationships because I, you know, after all these years of working together, I'm like essentially working with people I'm friends with now. Yeah. I want to, I don't want to, I want to keep that. And I love that aspect. Yeah. But we were looking, we were starting to do a different we had, we had some new clients and that was exciting. Some fortune 500 clients, some public companies, some, yeah, and we were doing like, again, a kind of an extension and a hybrid of all of the other work that we're doing. Like some of it was strategic communications for the internal audiences, which is fun and interesting in an audience that's often ignored, but can be really critical for a big company. Some of it was really strategic, high level thinking, like what it was the value proposition of this company or this division of this company. And that was a little bit more narrow than the work that we usually do, but it was really interesting because it was a different kind of dynamic, a lot of stakeholders. And I, ex- I feel like that's like one of my strengths. It's like, oh, you have 40 stakeholders. Okay. We'll oh, have this conversation 40 times. That's your favorite thing? That's <laughs> not my favorite thing, but I just, I think that I have like the stamina for it. I'm like getting nauseous. <laughs> yeah, you do. You're just... <laughs> I said this on another episode. How you do anything is how you do everything. You collect people and businesses, and yeah, bring those opinions in here. Let's let's have a cash it out. Let's ha- let's, let's get it on the table. <laughs> Where did that come from, Amanda? 
Honestly, can I tell you, like I, I did, I feel like I did a couple of years ago, I did this coaching program and it was all about transformation and how to, how to lead people through transformative experiences. And the, the thesis of the program was that in order to lead somebody through transformation, you have to go through transformation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love transformation and my therapist would tell you that I'm addicted to transformation. I'm always mm-hmm. transforming. <laughs> but this was like a kind of an intentional, like eight month program. Mm-hmm. And we, so we learned all of these techniques for having critical conversations, for noticing what it feels like to go through change yourself. And also this kind of ties in with being a business owner on my own, right? Not just my agency, but other kinds of businesses, because I think it gives you a different perspective into like the anxieties, frankly, that people who are running a business have to contend with. And so that training helped me. I was able to put that in place immediately with like change the way that I interacted with people immediately because it just gave it kind of cultivated empathy and gave me tools to sort of help people through the challenges that come up week to week when you're doing this work. A lot of the projects that we're doing, they're company-wide, they require change management and you have to equip your clients to execute them. You know, otherwise you're going to do all this work. And then it's like, if it's not executed well, then people are going to be like, that was a waste of money. That person mishandled it. And so there's so much more that goes into this work. Yeah. You're their therapist. Also, yeah. I mean, if you're really helping people, then you're also going to get to the psychology of whatever's going on. I can yeah. only imagine. I mean, that's probably why I shy away from this idea of 40 people in a room. I'm like, I can't handle each one of you and your issues. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to talk about this tangible thing. And really all of your, you know, like daddy issues are coming into here because right. of course they are. Because <laughs> well, and that's where the structure and the process comes right. in, right? Because we're not going to right. have like a free for all on this. We're right. going to figure out who's going to need to have input. We're going to figure out what the right time yeah. is to give them have input, and then we're going to have protocols about how to give the input. So by creating, you know, not just space, but be, cre- be creating a structure within that space and guiding actually- them through it, and and getting having them feel comfortable to let you lead. I mean, I think that's a big place where people miss the process. They don't. First, first things first, like step into the leadership role and say, you know, you've hired me, so I'm going to tell you how this works. I'm going to walk you through it. And people will fall in line if you do right. it well. Right. And right. you, and it has to be that way or else the project won't work. Must. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. And that's something that I think that you do really well. Like I, whenever we talk about your work, I'm like, oh, my God, how do you have the guts to do that? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just it's the same exact thing that you're doing, just a different structure with a different kind of person. But to me, it's it is the critical piece. And it's actually, you know, I think it it permeates everything that I talk about and and teach in my stuff, but it's it's a harder thing to teach. And it's still something, you know, how to explain it and how to put into practice. And I just want to like highlight something that you said because it's a theme that I keep seeing through people that I, you know, really respect and who are doing really well, is that they all have invested time and energy into personal growth and transformation because they see, I mean, I did it, you know, remember, I mean, we were related to this coaching program because I did that 16 day intensive with, you know, similar, but different, but I, (laughs) it was all personal stuff, but I totally felt a hundred percent confident, like paying in full up front. Cause I was like, this is going to help my business. Even if we don't talk about my business once, this is going to help my business. And you know, I'm hearing the same thing from you because it's people. But I love once again that we have our own styles for it. You did a second day intensive. Oh, I, I did an eight month program plus 20 years of therapy. Okay. <laughs> Look, it's so us. It's so us. 
And it's funny, like, as I think about people listening to this podcast, you're like, you're really going to get to know me because it's a theme I'm already seeing. Yeah, but I can't. I mean, 16 day intensive, 7 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. for 16 days. It wasn't just nine to five. It sounds like a nightmare Um, to me, but it works. You know, like, that's the other thing. You got to find what works. And I think... That goes with clients too. Like you have to find the right, the clients that work with you and clients have to find the partners that work with them. It's, there's a little bit of chemistry there too. Right. And, and I, you know, somebody who wants to work with us must also appreciate that kind of intensive work. And, you know, I've had some people in my orbit who like they, they've apologized to me oddly, like that they didn't hire me for branding, but they hired some, you know, and I'm like, oh no, 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 don't apologize. Like (laughs) I don't, you have to really want to not just respect what I do, but you have to really want and appreciate and enjoy the idea of my process. And if you don't, that's totally fine. It has to naturally vibe with you. It's not, you can't make yourself want to do it the way that I do it. And that's okay. (laughs) Like, and I am not offended. I don't want someone trying to bend to this. You got to be excited about this process. Absolutely. I was, I was recently in a very big pitch and I really wanted to win the project for a bunch of different reasons. But I remember I was in the pitch and then I was in a follow-up meeting afterwards and I felt like the chemistry was off. And I just had this like sinking feeling where I was like, this would never work. Mm. And it didn't. They went with a different firm and it was hard because I'd wanted it. And mm. there was one person that I did have good chemistry with, but I, what comforted me is I, I was like, I, I, and I felt like even in the pitch, I had trouble like controlling my face. I'm like, a, uh, people sometimes think that I'm like this yeah. actor, but I'm actually like just very authentic and expressive. And like, also when I'm disappointed, it's hard to hide. And I just remember I was like, Oh, don't let your face <laughs> show what it is that you're realizing right this minute and it was kind of a comfort because i was like it just wouldn't have worked out i could just sense right away that there were thing that there were people in the room that we wouldn't jive with that meant that was going to be a year and a half worth of not jiving oh, yeah it, no it's not good it's not that's not good it. no yeah. it's not good for the project it's not good for your sanity it's not good for your energy like find a different client right <laughs> and there's like there have been times in my life where i would just would have like charged ahead or i felt so bad about it and this time i was like Okay, just it ran its natural course, and I'm relieved that we that that was not the right fit. Just wasn't yeah. right fit. Yeah, I mean, I I think over the years I've really um, come into that confidence of. I mean, I, I basically tell people I have a hundred percent close rate because mm-hmm. <laughs> I close with everyone that that I meant to close with. <laughs> like, if, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I only I only offer this even to a very small group of people because they're the right fit. And then if, if they don't bite, they really weren't the right fit. Mm-hmm. So that's it. <laughs> it's actually like, it simplifies. It's, it's very so freeing. Yes. Yeah. It's very freeing. Cause I remember back in the day when I was trying to do some iteration of what you do, pitching these companies and, and that feeling, which I couldn't even identify at the time. It was just this nerve wracking feeling because you're pitching and because you're not vibing for all mm-hmm. sorts of reasons you're not even aware of because you're just not confident enough in what, or I wasn't confident enough in what I was offering and that, that they were the right fit and they weren't the right fit, you know, mm-hmm. to yeah. be honest, you know, one of the last places I truly pitched before we shifted our business that I mentioned in the first episode is this, I don't know if you've been to Times Square recently. I know. In fact. <laughs> uh, no. Well, Herbo is this 
Huge, although like the entire building corner, huge restaurant on, on 42nd and 8th that we pitched to brand and we were in the top with someone else and we, we so wanted it. It seemed so great and cushy at the time and they wanted to be this cool Brooklyn brand and we were that. And they ended up choosing the, the other woman who had branded every famous restaurant in New York City and came in cheaper than us. It's <laughs> like, yeah, definitely hire them. <laughs> but but at the time, I didn't know that. I was just desperately like, I really yeah. want this. But we weren't going to vibe because it wasn't, it, you know, I didn't I didn't have the authority mm-hmm. to pitch that. So that's, you know, you got to vibe. It's got to be the good fit. And they have to want what you have equally. Yeah. That's to make sense. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so don't feel bad if you don't get it because it didn't make sense. <laughs> no, I guess that's, that's right. Point. That's right. It's absolutely true. And I think there's so much to unpack there too, right? Like there's different anxieties that you feel. So you have to become, and this is where those self, the doing the work on yourself, you have to become skilled at identifying what the anxiety is and figuring out, okay, is that just like imposter syndrome or is that like, no, there's actually a chemistry problem here. We're just not, they don't appreciate what I'm bringing to the table. Like there's all these like different strains and there's some nuance. And so you have to become skilled at identifying what it is that's coming up for you and then figuring out what to do. Also, you know, what does the client really value? Do they value like a brand name? Do they, do they need to cover their ass by saying they hired somebody or spent a particular amount of money? You know, are they, do they care about supporting smaller businesses? Do they care about supporting women owned businesses? Like there's, those are the kinds of things like, do, do they care about process? Right? Like, there's some agencies out there, they put creative first and the whole project is a shit show through and through, you know, but there's like a spark of genius in there somewhere if you can unravel the rest of it. But you genius, know, you, you miss the genius if there's no process. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like you have to like then dig for that yeah. spark. But if yeah. the client, you know, wants to work with that spark of genius and doesn't care what happens to that genius, then it, then that's great for whatever agency can like provide that. But we also, you know, kind of going back to this like long-term thing, like I really care about what happens in implementation. I just think if you put all this work and money into the upfront stuff and then the implementation sucks again, like mm-hmm. I'm just, and maybe this is, I'm a business owner. I'm like, it needs to pay off. And so yeah. one of the, you know, we work with clients, we think about implementation when we're doing the upfront part, because we know how to implement things and it changes the way you approach that when you've had to implement, mm-hmm. you don't propose things that are impossible to implement, which is a lot, a lot of consulting firms fall into that trap. And again, like, again, for my business model, that, that ends up being good because implementation goes on forever. Right. Of course. Him yeah, I mean, this is marketing, right. which right. is, which never so, ends guys. It never, never ends. It just like, <laughs> to me, it's like this whole like gigantic lifelong loop that is like ever renewing. And if you yeah. Have integ- if you show integrity to your clients and empathy and are responsible and, you know, diligent, like then that will naturally renew over time because people value those things. Mm-hmm. And that's well, not to say I don't value creativity. Like I also have high standards and I can't just work with just anybody. Yeah. That's I've learned that too over the years when I've been like trying to make something work because they were my friend or because they were like some hotshot. And I want, I thought that that would be, but then if it doesn't meet my standards or if it's not both beautiful and practical, then that doesn't work either. Yeah, yeah. So I have this, I go through these interesting thought spirals with my clients because exactly what you're talking about, I'm thinking, because we don't do implementation. We set these clients up for marketing and branding and I'm often giving them marketing strategy, but I don't, we do not have at this moment an executional wing of our, of our company. 
And so Steve and I are in this unique position where we are advising people on marketing when we know that they are going to be doing the implementation and we know that they don't have a background in it. And so we have to make a lot of decisions about how much we give them. And like back in the day, Steve probably would have just made like something really cool. But actually, a lot of times when it comes to the marketing aspect of it, we are really careful to make something that we know the client can replicate based on wherever they are and what their understanding is. And even what I just psychologically, I'm like, what is this person actually going to (laughs) do? You know, like I can give you, I can like make myself feel good and give you this whole awesome looking thing and be like, here, just do a hundred things and it'll be great. And they won't do any of it. So instead, sometimes I actually pull back and say, here, just like do this because I know that that's all you're going to do. And that's really, it's tough because it, it, sometimes it means that I have to be restrained and like not necessarily do the, the awesome thing. You know what I mean? But it's, it's, I don't love that that's the case. I mean, someday I hope without me having to build it, I'd love to have the whole marketing wing so I can just do the execution exactly as I want it to be. But it's really important to keep an eye on that. And I think ultimately that's in the client's best interest. And that's where the farther down this rabbit hole of like thinking about the psychology of the client and stuff and, and incorporating that into the work you do. I mean, to me, that's a huge part of the of the whole process. It's like Steve and I are as much psychoanalyzing our clients as we are, you know, thinking about the work. We're like, just like you're saying, this is a very detail oriented person. This person is all about vision. You know, this person loves the big sexy part or like this person needs the details. And we cater to those aspects of their personality to make sure that they get the best results. And I think a lot of people, you know, everyone I'm talking to is in strategy in some way or another. It's like, I don't know that they take enough time to go to that level of thinking with their clients. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with everything you just said. And and unfortunately, I think that that is how it's going to be as long as you're working with humans, because you have to be able to take a look and see who you're working with and meet them where they are. Like Mm -hmm. you can't give them something that they, it's, it's not responsible to give them something that they can't do. And you, mm-hmm. if you know that they can't do it, and I just think as, I don't know for you, for me, it's been like, as I've gotten more experience and more mature, I'm more attentive to that. And again, I think there's like a whole lot that's going into noticing and compensating for that. And I'd much rather, I'd much rather be a, a, a smidgen less cool and have it be like as good as it possibly can be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, it, and that just comes with experience. So you had this agency, you have this agency, you're killing it. All of a sudden you're like, I know what I'll do. I'll open a wine store because I like wine and mm-hmm. branding and marketing. Is mm-hmm. that why? <laughs> no, it was more like, um, it was definitely like, I like wine, but I don't like shopping the shop, the, the wine shopping experience in most places. Like, I think it's confusing. I think the people aren't very friendly. I think it's if as somebody who at the time did not know a lot about wine, I like always like kind of felt insecure about what my decision was. And, um, to some extent it was influenced by, by my work in usability design and just thinking about the user. And so I just had this idea for how you could organize a wine store and create an experience that would be friendly and user friendly. And, and I also, I just thought it'd be fun to have a brick and mortar. I thought that would be a cool thing. It is a cool thing. I I did not realize (laughs) how much work that would be, but there you go. That's, I think that's the entrepreneur's life. Yeah. That's again, nuts. Our brains are like in completely (laughs) different galaxies. (laughs) 
oh, I think it'd be fun to have a brick and mortar. <laughs> but I love it. Actually, that's so you. I had this, I, I think this thing needs to be fixed. So I'm going <laughs> to open a wine store to fix it. <laughs> the wine a better way. There's a better way. I have that feeling about a general construction company that people you will hear me say over the years. I'm constantly talking about this general contracting company that I want to open because I'm like, that needs to be fixed. <laughs> okay. So we should talk about that because for years and years and years, I've wanted to have a construction project management company because most <gasps> of them don't know how to project manage right yes. like you call your contractor they ignore you they don't yes. return your call it's like just it takes forever yes yes like they're not good at timelines they're not good at budgets they well, need better project mean. managers well well that's what i mean when i say i don't even know and i don't know anything about this world i just want i want to make the most expensive project uh general construction company and and guarantee uh, delivery dates. That's my that's my concept. You pay more, but 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 guaranteed these things will. And I've talked to a few people about this who tell me that's basically impossible because of permits and all that stuff. But I'm going to figure out how to make it happen. And I you was and I can just going to say. Well, I was going to say this is where our differences come into place because I'm like I'm not making any kind of guarantee like that. But I will guarantee <laughs> that we will have a conversation and we'll be able to always keep you posted on exactly what's happening and give you like a sense of where you are and like well, help you manage your expectations and help you make contingencies plans. <laughs> oh, no. Because like just the not knowing, I think, is so frustrating when you're like, oh, I agree. It's the worst well, part of any project. Management. I know. Okay. So here, let's, we need to do a PSA right now. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably the biggest mistake that I think most people make in their businesses is not doing that expectation management and communication along the way. If a client is reaching out to you, asking where something is, or wondering what something next step, anything, if they have any questions at all, it's basically a red flag that you didn't communicate that thing already and and you should have. And it's not that it's, you, it's not that you can get it a hundred percent, although I feel like I've gotten pretty close, but that's because of the nature of my projects too. Mm -hmm. But you're, you should be striving for a hundred percent because that will cut down on all this other crap <laughs> becomes right. the problems. Right. Anticipate. Right. And you know what makes bad news worse is if it's a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> That's what makes bad news worse. And you know what so makes I that surprise? Like you know what makes that surprise worse? When you've emailed someone four times and you haven't heard back and then you get the surprise. And, and then it's bad news. <laughs> and then it's bad news. And you know what? And, and you it know costs what? more money. <laughs> Yeah, all those things happen. And it's just nobody will like you or trust you ever again. And they won't, even if they get all the results in the end, that's what right. they'll remember. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's yep. how I feel. I've, I've worked with so many people where, you know, I hired you and, and I don't know what's going on. And I've emailed you and I didn't hear back. I, I despise you now. <laughs> like, I don't trust anything <laughs> you say. Like, sorry, you lost me right there. <laughs> and, right. and it's so easy. And I think the reason people do it is because they are scared to respond when they don't know what to say, but it's as easy as I'll get back to you. You know, you don't have to have an I, answer. I don't know the answer, but yeah. I'll, I will look into it and I'll call you later today or tomorrow yeah. as soon as I know. I will call you by tomorrow at five and you better call that person <laughs> tomorrow. Even if you thing. don't have an update because yes. then you can say, here's what I did. I, yes. You know, they didn't get back to me. Here's what that might mean. And yeah, absolutely. It's totally fine. Just over communicate over communicate. Mm -hmm. I, I, I know that I know that this is a, probably a natural personality trait of to to be okay. Like I'm a very like head on. There's a problem. I'm on the phone immediately. I am not one to shy away. And I know some people do, but I think it's an I think it's a skill worth building <laughs> if you Absolutely. own your own business. 
Absolutely. And a lot of people are avoidant or, you know, they're whatever. I, I used yeah. to avoid it and be a people pleaser and like all these things. It's like that is it's not, not going to work. hurts everyone. Yeah. It makes it so much worse. Right. So much worse. Right. Okay. So getting back to your awesome store, tell us some fun stories about what you did because they're also brilliant because you're a marketing <laughs> and, and branding person. So Tipsy yeah. is such a has a, such a great brand. Everyone should go check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes. But tell us a little bit about the brand and the user experience and what you did to yeah. make it more. So fun. so the whole idea is that it's just it's supposed to be like a fun a fun friendly experience. It's supposed to be accessible. We organize the store by varietal instead of by region. Most Americans do not necessarily think about wine in terms of region, but they do think whether they like red or white. And within you know red, they may have preference for. Merlot versus Cabernet versus Syrah or, or whatever it may be. So it's organized by varietal, which is how most people think about wine. And then within each section, it's organized from least expensive to most expensive. So you can like easily yes. locate what the ranges, right? That's Instead so of like when you say yeah. when you say varietal, you mean like the Pinot Grigios are together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. That also sounds yeah. obvious. Yeah, I know. But most of them are like, here are the Italian wines and here are the right. French wines and like the varietals are mixed right. up and you don't really know them. Huh. We also, we do, we, we have super succinct tasting notes and we have pairing suggestions on the labels because most people are coming in and they're thinking about wine for dinner. And so you can give them a lot of information so that they can feel self-sufficient, which builds confidence, which makes you feel like you're having a good time. You don't have to ask for help just to like find a bottle of wine. You might ask for help if you can't decide or if you, you know, if you want to know if that somebody's tasted somebody, something because you've had, because, you know, you know, you want to know what the difference is between this herbaceous and that minerality or whatever. Like, and that's where we can add our, our expertise, but it just sets up the whole interaction in a completely different way because you're removing a lot of the like, kind of like, like just questions that they can easily answer themselves. In addition to that, I generally don't like to hire quote unquote wine people in the store. Mm -hmm. I like to hire restaurant people, people who've had training through restaurant experience because they know how to make people feel comfortable and they know how to talk about wine in the context of a meal, which is what, again, most people are looking Smart. for in a, in a neighborhood store. Anytime that I've broken that rule and hired somebody who either has had some formal training or has aspirations for that. They just come off as like snobby and they're not nice to people. It's, it's, I've only done it like once or twice and then I learned my lesson. And to be clear, my buyer is completely, is, is like certified and trained and she's also happens to have worked in restaurants. So she's amazing with people. So it's not that I don't want people with expertise, but in, in the store on the floor, the expertise that I want is making people feel comfortable and helping people understand what it is that they're looking for. So that's different from wine knowledge because I can train them to mm -hmm. have that wine knowledge, but it's very difficult to train people on how to be nice <laughs> or how to, how to make people feel comfortable. Right. Um, so I prefer hospitality and experience to uh -huh. wine experience. Oh, that's so those are like the two biggest things was like thinking about the store organization and it, from a, the point of view of the user and then thinking about the experience also from the point of view of the user and thinking about who would be the best to help create the kind of experience that I wanted it to be. Now, of course, from brand, a branding point of view, this was like a dream job. I was the the client and, and <laughs> right. my agency did it. So exactly, it was like what you, exactly what you want. Yeah, that's what we all right. want. <laughs> um, 
And, but you know, it's not like we were immune to missteps. We made missteps along the way, but we got a lot of stuff right. You know, we had a responsive website since day one. It still works. We still have it. It's been incredibly helpful to have. When like did you open a store? I forgot. Eight years ago or eight seven years, years ago. ago. Seven, yeah. seven years ago. Sorry. So, you know, that was like a big investment, but over time it's really paid off to be able to have my own e-commerce platform. I don't have to use the third-party software, the third-party platforms. I can send everybody to shoptipsy.com and they can like search our full collection and then check out like normally in scheduled delivery or pickup or shipping. Like that so, is huge. So you, I mean, that that is your foresight and also good timing because you like a couple years before and that probably wouldn't have been true. Right. And a couple of years after, and that just would have been what it had to be. Right. <laughs> and you were just in the, it just happened to be in the middle and you knew to do because right. you're in the industry. Because I'm in the industry. Yeah. industry. And I, my business partner was like, that's kind of a big expense. And I was like, I just think it's a must have. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's been. I mean, where we are now is like, it really needs to be updated. And I'm trying to figure out is now the right time to update with right. everything else. Like there's some payment things that would be, could be a little easier with more up-to-date software and things like that. And there's, but there's a lot of variables that go into that. And yeah, I'll, I'll also point out, go look at the website and the brand because the brand is such a great embodiment of this personality that you're talking about. And that's also what's fun as a branding person <laughs> to get to open your store and then have that brand match because it's definitely not the, you know, the classic red wine, sexy, whatever circle on the napkin yeah. look. Yeah. I no, mean, no, that, no. that designers not. love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Or the stemless glass logo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we've done a couple of wine things over the years. Okay. <laughs> and how the sexy looks. And, it, and it's got like a totally different personality. That's very, I mean, it, it's it's you. It's got the, the community. It's got the personality. It's got the friendliness. It's got the accessibility without it feeling cheap. Like it doesn't feel, it feels knowledgeable. Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't remember them specifically, but just for the for the fun, for the audience, like tell mm-hmm. us a couple of the things you noticed. Because I remember, so here's one thing that I just Mm-hmm. Uh, really remember from the first time I walked in was that you had like these little signs that called mm-hmm. out wine. And I remember one of them saying like, this goes great with fish. And like another one being like, this is great for Indian food. And I was like, that is so smart. If I was having Indian food, no question. I would just buy that bottle of wine. <laughs> and Or if I like, I would just buy the bottle of wine anyway and write Indian food on it. So that next time I had Indian, I mean, it was yeah. such, it was just oh, yeah. brilliant. And I had never seen that before. So tell us a little few things that you, and also the thing about the cheaper wine and the thing on the side. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So we do, we have these like suggestive selling little signs that I stay up all night writing every couple of months. <laughs> yeah. Like they just amuse me. Like it's like some of them are very practical, like the Indian one, but some of them are like, this bottle is your boo or, you know, so like fun. this is never going to let you down. Like, like, you know, I like work in little references. It's, they are like purely to amuse me. At least but that's how I one of them. Yeah. But one day I was working in the store and somebody came in and she was like, it was a woman. She said, I'm looking for a Sauvignon Blanc and it has to be under $15. Just show me that. And so I was like, oh, okay. So I took her over and long story short, she ended up leaving with two bottles, not one. Neither of them was a Savion Blanc. Neither of them was 15 or under because <laughs> she had seen these little signs. And one of them was like, this is, this bottle is my guilty pleasure. And then another one was something else that spoke to her. And she was like, I have to have these bottles. That's, that sounds like so much fun. And it was such a powerful reminder to me even though I'm in the industry of like, and I was just kind of doing it because I thought, oh, maybe this will work. And, but also like primarily because it was fun for me. Like, oh, suggestive selling is really fucking effective. <laughs> um, <laughs> so brilliant. Sure. Oh, no. I don't know. I'm going to have to like censor that. But, um, You're good. 
like it's, it works, you know, if you do it and it comes from an authentic place too, right? Like I write all these little prompts, but the staff puts them out or we talk about like which one should go with which. And there's like creativity involved in that. But the point is we have a strategy and it works all the time. And one of my favorite things is to be working in the store and just hear somebody like chuckle to themselves because they read one of the signs. Um, the, The sales associates always tell me that people are like, commenting on that something is funny or uh, like it made them laugh or like it was really helpful. I mean, that goes to like, that's core brand attributes right there. That's what I was going for. Fun and fun, you know, fun and and helpful and accessible. But it's, I do think it's also like this like reminder, like marketing works when you do it, you know, well. Yes. Those are such great stories and so inspirational for, (laughs) for me even (laughs) like just right now, just really having fun with it mm-hmm. and and playing around with it and the fact that you were like willing to play around with it and then because and of try that, different things yeah. not everything's gonna work not right. every single thing is gonna work and you have to be willing to like pivot to and and say this isn't working I'm not gonna do this anymore but also keep trying things like we we weren't profitable enough so we launched an events business it's all like wine education because that's all that wine stores are allowed to do but we again we do these wine education events. We found our niche. We have a distinctive point of view. And I mean, again, it's like we have clients, they come back year after year after year. Mm-hmm. The edit, the, our little themes are all there, like a little irreverent, a little like fun and funny, maybe a little unexpected. So I, I think that's an example too, of like our brand being consistent across all mm-hmm. of our initiatives, but also what you were just saying, like being, be experimental, try things. If they're not working, don't continue to do them, mm-hmm. do something mm-hmm. different and then make sure that your brand is still consistent. You're still bringing yeah. that personality to whatever it is that you're trying. And don't be scared to try something and it might not work and that's okay. You know, I have to constantly remind myself that like, sometimes I try something and it doesn't work. It's not like, oh, now I'm bummed that this didn't work. It's like, okay, great. More information that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Let me try something else. I also love, and Steve and I love, we do this in brands and some of our own stuff, this highbrow, lowbrow thing, you know, because it's, you're kind of going like super accessible, but it's clearly very knowledgeable and finding Mm -hmm. that line is like a really great place for brands to be right now, especially, I feel like it's kind of, you were like in the beginning of that trend. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like worst of all design is kind of like that too. Yeah. And (laughs) I think in both both of us, we're not trying to be something that we're not like are the brands that we built are to some extent our vision, but they're, they also are reflective of like who we are. We're being authentic. We're not trying to be something that we're not like, it's all about finding like what, it, what is it that you want to put forward? That's going to work. Mm-hmm. About yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Business. So I have one more story that I remember. I don't know if this was proprietary information, so I'll cut it out <laughs> if you don't want to share it. But okay. I feel like you said something about like that people always buy the bottle next to the cheapest bottle or something. Do you remember telling me that? Yeah, it might have been, you know, I read somewhere about menu design Mm -hmm. that like there's this whole science about where you put things on the menu. And so I, I think about that all the time when we're placing product and I've definitely seen like, you know, people, I don't don't know. This is something that I, I haven't quite figured out, like how it translates yet, because I think that sometimes we're very value oriented and we're all about like, there is great wine at every price point and we're finding it for you. Mm-hmm. So it's not that like the, there's anything wrong with the cheapest, but I would say that like, you know, 
people want to feel like they're getting a good value and they know that it's not necessarily about being the cheapest. Like the good value might be the next thing up where that's like a little bit more, but the quality is so much better. And so that's where the education comes in. And I think being accessible and like giving them all the information that they need can really come into play and just respecting that and understanding that consumers, I think are smarter than ever. Like they can, they can look stuff up online. They can look your prices up online and like get a sense of like, are you out of whack? Like, are you trying to pull one over on them? So you have to be honest and have integrity and focus on the things that are actually the difference makers. Um, make them make them better consumers. Like I'm invested in my customers mm-hmm. being more knowledgeable because then they'll appreciate the fact that we're doing what I think is really great work, like finding really great values to bring to them, introducing them to new wines that they might not be aware of, highlighting winemakers who are doing interesting and different things or who bring a different perspective, you know, either because they're women or because they're really into biodynamic, like what is the difference between sustainable and organic and biodynamic, like help them understand all those things. And then they'll appreciate like how much thought you're putting into every single, you know, product that you bring into the store. Jeez. It's a little different hearing where we started, but yeah. Really? No, no. I mean, it's it's amazing. And that's what's fun. I mean, back in the day when we drank a lot more, we would come by and be like, fill it up, like (laughs) just fill up a a case for us and just pick them out for us, please. Because, you know, we like these two tastes and because I, yeah, because I I don't know. And I'd rather just, I like when somebody who really knows and that I trust will just say, I think you'll like, I think you should try these. And I remember trying to keep track of which ones we liked. And then eventually it was just like, ah, just fill it up with a different group. I don't know. (laughs) They're all good. And that's a nice way to buy wine too. (laughs) But I'm not close enough to you. We have a wine club that we can, you know, that where we do oh, that. Yeah. For but also like, I definitely have friends and customers who just call me and are like, can you put something together for me and I'll come pick it up later on. And that's like a really fun thing for me because yeah. then I, you know, I have a sense of what my clients and my friends like. And so mm-hmm. then it's super fun. It's like picking out presents for them. Like, it's just fun. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and because you have this store in this, you know, neighborhoody neighborhood, you mm-hmm. get to have that relationship with people totally, that totally. is not as, as prevalent in New York City as it used to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think in this time, like one of the things, first of all, I've benefited enormously as an extrovert from having the store and having an excuse to be out with the public every day. Uh-huh. I don't know how I would be surviving without the human contact that I get. And I know some people who are like super you know, fearful are like, oh my God, you're in contact with 30 to 50 people every day. (laughs) That's insane. But we're wearing masks. We have all the protocols, but the connections that I get to make every single day. And I try, I try to look at everybody in the eye. I don't ask every single person, but a lot of people, I try to have a moment of connection. I'm like, how are you doing today? Like, you know, just not overall, just today. How are you? Mm-hmm. Or if I've seen somebody, I'm like, oh, are you feeling better than you were last time? Or, you know, what's going on? Like what's going on this weekend that you're excited about? Or what are you going to have with this wine? Like just a moment of connection and a moment of like some like joyful energy is something that I can share and something that I am able to also take from this community. So it's kind of a, I think, a lucky thing that where a lot of people might be like, this sounds like a nightmare. You're, you're an essential business and you have to be open. Um, we don't have to be open. You can close, right. but to me, it's been like this gift, you know, in a lot of ways. And I hope that we're, I hope that we're sharing that gift to the extent that we can both by providing like a safe space where somebody can come in and be real. And, you know, through the community stuff that we're trying to support 
on a weekly basis, on an ongoing basis by giving back and like supporting our neighbors, our colleagues, our, you know, our whole community. I am 100% sure that everybody can feel that, Amanda. (laughs) And I think a lot of people do that stuff here and there, but I know you so well and I know it comes from such a deep, authentic place. You're the, Thank you. I have to share. You're the kind of person who has like how many like ten adopted animals in your apartment? <laughs> like Amanda texted me a photo of a puppy last year and was like, "Hey, do you want a puppy? This one needs adopting, and I don't have space." I was like, <laughs> "It was right next door to you." Yeah, that's you not a reason to get a puppy. Like- I'm not a dog person. <laughs> She's like, "But maybe you want to adopt this dog right now because <laughs> it's right next to your house." No, it really seemed reasonable in the moment. <laughs> it was too funny. It was so you, and it was too funny. And I felt like you were really serious. I was. Um, <laughs> I absolutely one hundred percent was like, I'm just gonna ask Pia because she she might do this. <laughs> well, then you don't know me that well. <laughs> you're always don't. learning. You're always learning. Okay, well, <laughs> I grew up in New York City. Like there are no dogs. There was like one dog in my life. Yes. And I think that's a nice way to wrap this conversation up today, Amanda. We could talk for hours. I know our brunches go on forever until we're pulled away. So I'll definitely have you back on here to talk about many more things. But I so appreciate you coming on and being so candid about your two beautiful businesses and all the other amazing stuff you're doing. And I just adore you and love you. Thank you so much for being here. I love you too. Hugs to to your guys from us. And I can't wait to see you again soon. Okay, me too. If you know a larger organization or institution that needs help with branding, marketing, or communications, go to threefuries.com. Or if this episode made you thirsty, go to Amanda's fun and friendly wine shop at shoptipsy.com. If you're a local, you can visit in person for the full guilty pleasures experience or order for delivery. And if you're in one of those wine-friendly delivery states, you can also join their wine club. All the links are in the show notes at piasilva.com backslash podcast. Also, if you know other entrepreneurs who struggle to put their business in its place and could benefit from hanging out with us, please share this podcast with them. Hard work can only take you so far. It's how you show up in your business that makes the difference. And to make sure that you don't miss an episode of Show Your Business Who's Boss, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast player. Taking inspiration from Amanda today, try brainstorming some marketing ideas that would amuse you as opposed to focusing first on what you think would work. Some of the best marketing ideas come from trying things without being tied to the outcome. And whether it technically gets the results you were looking for or not, it's the getting used to trying new things that can be incredibly valuable to the long-term success of your business. And that might just be your first step in showing your business who's boss. Show Your Business Who's Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Production assistance by Kristen Runvik. Creative direction by Steve Wasterval. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners. <laughs> <laughs>